We're back, baby. We're back. Welcome in to Please Bear With Me. I'm your host, Travis Corley. Huge shout out to Scotty for hopping on and hosting last week. And a huge shout out to Terrence Ganaway for coming on and bearing with us. Sorry, I was not able to be with you guys last week. But you know what? I think I had a pretty good excuse. My wife, Kinsey, and I welcomed our first baby into this world. A baby boy, Grayland Michael Corley. Came in weighing seven pounds, five and a half ounces, about 19 and a half inches in length. And we are just so proud, so happy he came out healthy. And it has been a grind so far. Today, Tuesday, he is actually a week old today. So, man, it's, it's, uh, all, all you parents out, that, out there know that it is a grind. And I am just now realizing how much of a grind it is but man we are enjoying every second of it and for for all of those that sent us well wishes thank you so much it is much appreciated we are having a blast with grayland and back to the pod here no guest this week because of thanksgiving but we got some stuff to cover here so hopefully i won't be too long-winded let's get into it please bear with me Welcome in once again to Please Bear With Me for this week's Thanksgiving episode. And you know what? I'll, I'll just start right there by thanking you, the listener, for coming in every week and bearing with us. It, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of work to put these episodes out and for you to spend the time out of your busy day to, to come in and listen in, it, it, it really does mean a lot. And I just want to show my appreciation to you at this moment. And just say thank you for coming in week after week and and just being with us. We are doing our best to give you guys stuff that you want to hear, give you guests that you want to hear from. And I, I hope we're doing a good job. But you know, that being said, just thank you once again for listening and, and, and bearing with us. Big 12 championship. It is it is right there. It is right there for us. We, we don't control our own destiny, but you know what? A- at least we know what needs to happen now. Because like a week ago, two weeks ago, there was like 17 different things that could have happened and we're, we're going into the deep tie-breaking rules and trying to figure out what the point differentials are going to be. But at this point, it, it's very clear-cut what, what needs to happen. Oklahoma State just needs to beat OU and we are in that Big 12 championship game. But if OU wins, we're out. It's it's as simple as that. And we are staring down a 10-win season. We got an opportunity to win 10 games this year without the bowl game. And if we make the conference championship game, there's an opportunity for us to get 12 wins. 12 wins. That is insane to increase to have an opportunity to increase our total win wins 
by 10. I mean, that is unheard of. I'm not sure if that's ever happened in college football ever. I'm not sure. But we do need to take care of business against Tech this weekend, and then we'll let the chips fall where they may. We play early in the afternoon, 11 o'clock game, and then Bedlam is going to be the night game. So, hey, if we win against Tech, all eyes are going to be on that Bedlam game to see if Oklahoma State can pull it out. And I feel pretty good about Oklahoma State's chances, mainly because OU just has not been scoring a lot of points the last two weeks against good defenses. That's us. They scored 14 against us. And then they scored they scored 28 total against Iowa State, but really offensively only had 21 points because Brock Purdy decided that he was going to try to make a play with 20 seconds left in the half on a third and 13 or something like that. And then he fumbles and OU recovers, takes it into the end zone. And honestly, if, if Brock Purdy just throws that ball away, Iowa State probably wins that game. They probably win that game. But, you know, I bring that all up to say that this will be the best defense that OU has faced, and they're going to be on the road. So I am feeling pretty, pretty good about the Pokes' chances. The big thing that happened in this Kansas State game, and I was just sick, sick when it happened. Uh, Gary Bohannon, our our unquestioned leader of the offense and one of the best leaders on this team, goes down with an injury. Um, all we know right now, it's a pulled hamstring. And an update from Aranda this week said he's day to day, and he just said, you know, um, Bohannon's heart was broke, you know, on Saturday evening, as I think all of our hearts were collectively broken to see him go down in, in that much pain um, from a hamstring. And, you know, I, I thought it was going to be worse when I saw him go down. You know, he's, he's pounding the ground in pain, and you could audibly hear him on the broadcast screaming, which you don't see a lot from, uh, from hamstring injuries, at least the ones that I've seen. Like, the, the very next day, I was watching uh, an NFL game, and I saw a wide receiver pull a hamstring, and his reaction was just kind of, okay, I'm going to grab the back of my leg, you know, didn't fall to the ground. He was just kind of able to uh, limp to the sidelines. So, you know, I thought, I thought Gary's was going to be worse um, just seeing his reactions. And, you know, I, I don't want to speculate on injuries. I'm not trying to be, a, you know, a Twitter doctor or, or anything like that. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of just all I'll say right there. Hopefully, we'll have him back at some point by the end of the year. Um, if I had to bet on it, if I had to put money on it, I would say that he's probably done for the year just because hamstrings are just such tricky injuries. They, I mean, the second that you think you're back to a hundred percent, you go out there and you do one sprint and, and you get set back to, to square one. And so that's the last thing we want to happen with, with Bohan in there. And, you know, I know coach Aranda said he's day to day. Um, and I know Aranda is a very candid uh, man when he's being interviewed, but you, you just never know. You, you don't know. And is he saying that so that Tech has to prepare for Bohannon? You know, I don't know. I don't know. But from Aranda, he says he's day-to-day, -day and, you know, hopefully we can have him back. 
And what, what is Gary to us? What, what are we kind of losing here? He has been, I, you know, already mentioned just the unquestioned leader of the offense. You could tell just throughout the year how much this team responded to his leadership and how much this team really enjoyed playing behind him, playing with him, and playing for him. And he's been excellent at managing games for us, getting better and better as the year progressed. And I really thought he was starting to hit that peak and starting to play his best football here near the end of the year. And and once again, just felt so sick to my stomach when he fell to the ground. You know, this is a man who who bet on himself last year. He, he could have transferred out, easily could have transferred out. I think most of us thought he was headed out, but instead works his tail off, goes from third string to first string in one year. I mean, he's an Earl Campbell Award finalist. That's, that's insane. You know, 17 TDs, six interceptions, over 2,000 passing yards, just such a bright spot on this offense. And the, the biggest question coming into this year, I guess apart from the offensive line, was going to be heavily dependent on the play we're going to get out of our quarterback. And I think Bohannon has exceeded expectations and was just incredibly sad to see him go down. And like I said, I hope he can come back. Um, and, and, and I don't want anyone to get this twisted now. If Shapin comes out and, and balls out and wins us a Big 12 championship or wins us a New Year's Six Bowl, that doesn't matter to me. Gary Bohannon is the starter week one of the 2022 season. He's earned it. He's earned it. And speaking of Shapin, let's talk about Shapin. Actually, before we talk about Shaman, I want to address a few people who were saying that they were hoping we still had Zeno. You're wrong. You are so wrong. Zeno was just awful in the spring game, and I don't think he could execute this offense at the level that it needs to be executed. I mean, that's the whole reason that Shapin won the second string job. Zeno was not great throwing on the run, and he was probably, of the three, the least dynamic rushing the ball. And, and it's kind of amazing to me that a guy that transferred out, his stock is still so high from one throw in the Big 12 championship game in 2019. You know, there's a reason Shapin won the second string job. There's a reason that Zeno transferred out. You know what? He just turned out not to be that great. But let's talk Shapin now he comes into the game right there that last drive before half um you know ends the game 16 of 21 137 yards 76 percent completion 76 percent completion he also had five rushes for 44 yards his long one going for 28 yards just just uh just a great run just was really fun to see him make that run and in comparison uh you know bohannon and shapin basically basically played one half each. Bohannon was 9 of 14, 76 yards and a touchdown, seven rushes for 18 yards. Okay? So, you know, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And let's let's compare Bohannon and Shapin here a little bit. You know, in, in the run game, I think Bohannon is better here because of his size and his physicality and his athleticism. You know, I was impressed with Shapin's ability to run the ball. I was, I was really impressed, actually, but I still give that edge 
to Bohannon. However, I would love to, to see those guys line up against each other and, and run a 40 against each other. I think that would be fun. Throwing ability. And I, and I know this is a very small sample size, but I actually like Shapin's arm a little bit better. I think Shapin has a much quicker release and was very, very accurate from the pocket and on the run on Saturday. And obviously, I want to see if Shapin can do that consistently, and he's likely going to have that chance to end the year here. But for a redshirt freshman to come in and show us that throwing ability and that confidence, um, man, that was awesome to see. And just, man, that, that ball was really popping out of Shapin's hands there. Reading defenses and pocket presence. And I think this is yet to be seen, but I will give Bohannon the edge here again because of, of what we've been able to see this year. You know, Chapin didn't have many opportunities to show his pocket presence, uh, to show reading coverages. But based on what we saw, you know, I feel pretty confident that he's at least above average in that area. And, and you know, like I said, we're going to get, he's going to get that opportunity to show us really what he can do. And lastly, from a leadership standpoint, you know, Gary Bohannon was such an amazing leader. I think when we all hear him speak, we're just kind of blown away by how confident he is and how motivating he is. And I think that that bleeds into that Baylor team. And that being said, Shapin, I mean, he, he was talking guys up. On the field, he was talking guys up on the sidelines, giving dabs to everyone, and that was a, that was really cool to see. You know, I think Shapin has some really great leadership qualities. I like what I saw, and you know, if, if these guys really were able to rally around Bohannon, I, I really think our team's going to be able to rally around Shapin, especially from what we saw against Kansas State. I mean, this guy can ball. This guy can ball. Um, you know, again, a very small sample size from Shapin, but I I, I did love what I saw. And I'll, and I'll end with this. You know, you would think with Bohannon going down, we will have to rely more heavily on Smith and Ebner in our run game. But honestly, I don't think that's the case here. You know, I, I really think Shapin can execute this offense at a high level. It, it may look a little different because Bohannon and Shapin are two different players. But Grimes, trust Grimes. He is going to have Shapin playing at a high level. I don't think we'll see too much of a drop-off from, from Bohannon to Shapin. If anything, it's just going to be from an experience um, standpoint, and maybe we'll see Shapin make a few freshman mistakes. But hey, if Shapin gets the opportunity, he can win the Big 12 championship for us. 100%. Our offense is so predicated on the run, and we have run the ball so well. I think I saw that we were second in the nation in yards per carry which is insanely good. So if we can really rely on that run game, like we have the entire year, Shapin showed us he can throw on the run. He can be accurate from the pocket. He can throw an accurate deep ball, as he did coming out to start that second half against Kansas State. And give credit to Jeff Grimes, to Sean Bell. They show us once again just how great of coaches they are. To have your backup ready to play, ready to come in, and give that performance he did is a testament to their coaching abilities. I mean, on the road, a freshman at Kansas State, 
with a potential Big 12 championship appearance on the line, and he comes in and looks like this, credit Grimes, credit Coach Bell, so impressed with these guys each and every week. You know, Shapin definitely deserves most of the credit for playing the way he did because, hey, he was out there making the throws. He was the one playing. But hey, Grimes, Bell, excellent job having this kid ready to go. And they're going to have him ready for Tech. They're going to have him ready for Oklahoma State if we get that opportunity. All right, let's talk that Kansas State recap. And like a lot of games this year for us, the score didn't really show you how dominant of a performance this was by the Bears. You know, a final score of 20 to 10, it just does not reflect that. And we'll talk about that in a second. But first, Kansas State, guys, Kansas State is good. They are good. And they were my dark horse team this year to make some noise, to maybe move up to that third, maybe even make the conference championship game. They're just flying under the radar all year. They still are flying under the radar. I don't think they're getting enough credit. They are physical, as we saw. How many, how many guys went down this game? We're not used to seeing that from Baylor. Just, you know, not a ton of injuries that kept guys out of the game, but like you saw guys rolling on the ground, a little bit banged up. And so, man, this Kansas State team is physical. They were well coached. And look, they they were missing Thompson for one game. It was against Oklahoma State. They lost 31 to 20 at Oklahoma State. Okay, we lost by 10 to Oklahoma State with, with our whole team in full force. They're missing their best, their second best offensive player in, in Thompson. And they go up there and, and only lose by a, about the same score. And then a a 37-31 loss to OU. Okay, so they were right there, uh, you know, one possession away from from beating OU as well. So Kansas State, very good team. If they had beat us right here, we would have had the same record, which is kind of wild. You know, we're a top 10 team or at, at at that time, 12 or 13, whatever it was, Kansas State's not ranked. And then if they had beat us, we'd have had the same record. Pretty wild to me. Pretty wild. And Chris Kleiman, the, the head coach for Kansas State, a name not being brought up in the coaching carousel, which is kind of uh, uh, something else that's wild to me. Chris Kleiman is so underrated, so underrated. A 19-15 and 15 record over his three years at Kansas State. He had an 8-5 and five season and 7-4 and four so far this year. You know, he had the FCS championships at North Dakota State four out of five years. And hey, he got Trey Lance. Trey Lance, NFL quarterback, to come and play at an FCS school. So it's kind of shocking to me that Kleiman's name has not been thrown around in all of these job openings that are, oh, I mean, it seems like a, va- a massive amount of jobs have come open this year. So not sure why his name's not being floated, but, you know, I, I think he's a great fit at Kansas State. I don't think he would leave. Um, man, I just think he's a great fit there and, and, and so underrated. Dominant, dominant performance. Let's get into that actual performance now. Kansas State had one good play. One play that came after just a boneheaded offsides by our, t- our punt return team on a fourth and five. Like, literally, 
our player just lined up off sides. And it's inexcusable, especially because all you have to do is you just, you know, point your finger at the ref and you say, hey man, am, am I on sides? And the ref says yes or no. He failed to do that. Failed to do that. And then the very next play, Deuce Vaughn ripped off a 65-yard touchdown run. And that is exactly the thing that was going to beat us coming into this game. Letting the deuce get loose. And he did here. This also happened with less than four minutes in the half. You know, had Baylor gotten the ball back here, we had a chance to go score points before the half while at the same time preventing them from getting the ball back again in that first half. And look, it, it was great for us. We did end up getting a field goal before half. Again, huge credit to Shape in there coming in midway through that drive right before half and leads us down to, to get a field goal. And Kansas State had really stolen a ton of momentum with that Vaughn run and just an excellent answer by the Bears there to go and, and at least get points on the board, take back a little bit of that momentum going into half. And the score, like I said, it does not tell you how dominant of a performance this was, guys. If you take away that 65-yard Deuce Vaughn run, Kansas State rushed for 40 yards on 20 carries. That is two yards per carry. You like that quick math, didn't you? Yeah. And in reality, though, Kansas State, they rushed for 105 yards on 21 carries for five yards per rush. But without that Deuce Vaughn run, two yards per carry, two yards per carry. We held them to 263 yards on the game. And in total yards, they came in averaging 371. So continuing with my awesome math, that's, that's over 100 yards less than their average in total yards. They came in averaging, averaging 28.9 points per game, to which we held them to 10 points. And looking at advanced stats in this game, Baylor whooped them. We whooped them. Baylor's post-game win percentage, 100%. 100%. I'm not sure I've seen that. I've seen 98, 99. I have not seen a 100% post-game win percent. And our havoc rate, what's our havoc rate? That's a sack, a tackle for loss, a pass deflection, or a turnover was 23.5%, which means one out of four plays, we were getting one of those four things. And Kansas, Kansas State's offensive success rate was about 29%, so very close there, which means to me, Baylor was pretty dang close to making one Havoc play per one successful play by the Kansas State offense. Again, I say, dominant. Let's get into some key plays. I want to talk about that muffed punt. You know, historically, Kansas State has always been great at special teams. And our offense was stopped on that first drive, and Kansas State just uncharacteristically muffs the punt, and we score a few plays later to go up 7-0. to zero. They had a bunch of uh, another momentum swing for Baylor. The Ebner fumble in the second half. We lost that fumble because the Kansas State defender straight up, straight up, took the ball from Miller at the bottom of the pile. And that is exactly why you pile up when there is a fumble that is well done by Kansas State. That being said, I am so shocked 
there was no review on this. No review at all. I thought by the camera angle that we were given, it was pretty obvious Miller had clearly recovered the fumble before any Kansas State player gets their hand in. I think the, the Kansas State player that eventually ends up recovering it, he only gets one hand in there on the camera and then every, everybody else just starts piling in. You know, so in hindsight, it didn't matter, but this was a huge play. It was 17 to 10 at this point in the second half. I, I'm shocked that there, there was no review here. No review. Last play here, wall caught interception. Thompson goes down with an injury. Jaron Lewis comes in at quarterback for the Wildcats and immediately throws an interception, which assuredly ended the game there. They had a long way to go being down 10 uh, with less than four minutes left. But this game, uh, this interception, it, it, it put the game in the bag for us. That's Walcott's second interception on the year. Uh, he, he's had a great year. He's really been a riser on that defensive side of the ball for us. And a big game from him in Kalen Barnes' absence. You know, Kalen Barnes was out, and so was Christian Morgan. So a, a huge showing from Walcott and getting the interception to uh, seal that game up for us. Individual performances here. Abram Smith, stats will tell you he had one of his worst games of the year, but honestly, it did not seem like it was that bad. Uh, stats 21 rushes, 46 yards, 2.2 average. So, not great. Not what we're used to seeing from Abram Smith. I do agree it was one of his worst games of the year, but that is mainly because he's had so many amazing games that any subpar performance is easily going to be, you know, one of his worst games of the year. So, Ebner, though, Treston Ebner had, had one of his better games of the year, I think. 12 carries, 68 yards, 5.7 average, and one touchdown. Uh, Tyquan Thornton, five catches for 75 yards. And Drake Dabney, Drake Dabney. I am so excited for the future of Drake Dabney. Only two catches for 22 yards and a touchdown, but his two catches were great catches. A 20-yard catch on a second and eight, and then that very same drive, he makes a great little two-yard catch in the end zone and is able to drag his right foot and put that down before his left foot comes down out of bounds. So a great touchdown catch there by Dabney. And on the offensive line here, Khalil Keith getting the start at right tackle. He is an absolute beast at run blocking. And then Mike Mazuka. Yes, Mike Mazuka, the bazooka. He got some time there at left guard. And we really shuffled in like uh, quite a few guys there to the offensive line. I think that's a testament to how physical that game was with Kansas State. I think Giancarlo Valentine actually got some time there at, uh, at, at right guard, I believe. Defensively, Doyle, uh, three solo tackles. But man, he, I thought he played really well in coverage and he had two passes defended. Which brings us to the oh-so-good player of the game. And we're going with the defensive player holding that Kansas State team to 10 points total offensively. Gabe Hall. Gabe Hall, folks, remember the name. Four solo tackles, three tackles for loss, and two sacks. Which brings his totals to 14 total tackles on the year, seven tackles for loss on the year, and six sacks on the year. So if you add up those three stat lines based on his total numbers, 
he accounted for 33% of his production on the year in this one game. And Gabe Hall quietly, quietly is now leading this Baylor Bears team with six sacks. He's top 10 in the Big 12 in sacks. Get excited about Gabe Hall. He's going to have some big games here to end the year and in the future for the Baylor Bears. Moving on to Texas Tech here. It is obviously, obviously an interesting butt bowl this year with Joey McGuire being hired as the new head coach at Tech. Aranda was asked if they were going to have to change up anything uh, signal-wise on the defense, and Aranda says, yeah, we'll, we'll probably have to change up some signals. You know, I'm not sure how much of an impact having McGuire will be because, you know, he's not going to be on the sidelines, but I do think he can at least give them a little bit of insight onto Baylor's tendencies offensively and defensively. So not a huge cause for concern um, there, only kind of with the signals. Tech right now, their interim head coach, Sonny Cumbie, um, and Aranda gave us this great nugget in his press conference. Cumbie was the scout team quarterback at Texas Tech, while Aranda was running the scout team defense as a grad assistant. So I, I feel like Every week to two weeks, Aranda is coming in and talking about his relationship with these other coaches he's going up against. And it tells you just how well uh, Dave Aranda is connected in the coaching world. And Aranda says, Tech, a dangerous team with a lot of talent. I agree with that. They just came off a pretty big win against Iowa State a few weeks ago uh, to become bowl eligible. So they have the talent to come out and beat teams. They really do. Let's look at that offense. Sixth in the Big 12, 30.5 points per game. Seventh in total offense, 410 yards per game. Eighth in rushing offense, 153 yards per game. Fourth in the Big 12, though, in passing, 257 yards per game. So, you know, our defensive backfield has been our weakness on uh, on the defensive side of the ball, especially in that TCU game. But I feel like we shored that up against OU. We shored that up against Kansas State. Um, so I feel a little bit better about our passing defense coming into this game, especially with our defensive line getting some good pressure the past two weeks as well. Tech has used about three different quarterbacks this year. Uh, Shuck, who transferred from Oregon, uh, he got injured early in the year, so he's out for the year. But Columbia has been their main starter, number three. Uh, he leads them with other, over 1,200 yards passing, five touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, like I said, was the starter after Shuck went down. He did split time with Smith at quarterback versus OU. And then he got sick before that Iowa State game, which made way for Smith number seven, to come in and get a huge win over Iowa State to make them bowl eligible. Smith on the year, over 650 yards passing, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, that start against Iowa State was his first collegiate start, and he is also a redshirt freshman. So I would expect to see them come out with Smith and it be a redshirt freshman battle between Smith and, uh, and Shapin for us at quarterback. But Smith, a great dual threat guy. And, uh, you know, hey, we're going to have to do well um, in our pass rush, not running past him. And um, 
keeping things in front of them. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, we played lots of man defense against Kansas State. We liked our matchup against the receivers. Um, and, and, and Thompson, with, with his knee injury, um, hasn't been super mobile. Not super mobile. Um, but that is not going to be the case this weekend. I think Texas Tech's receivers are much more dynamic than Kansas State's. We may play a little bit more zone so that we can keep things in front of us and so that we can gang tackle if Smith gets out of the pocket there. And Smith versus Iowa State, 25 of 32, 322 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. He also had 14 rushes for 50 yards. So um, that dual threat ability showing out against Iowa State. And we've got to be, um, we've got to be good when, when our pressure comes in with that, with that uh, defensive integrity, keep him in the pocket. And, uh, you know, honestly, same thing for Columbia if he comes in the game. But I, I do expect to see Smith play a lot of this game. The last person I'll point out on that offense, Eric Ezekanma at wide receiver, um, one of the best wide receivers in the Big 12. He's easily their best playmaker on offense. First team all Big 12 last year. He leads the team with 46 catches, 691 yards, and four touchdowns. He's 6'3", 220. 6'3", 220. That's probably, probably one of the better sized receivers we're going to play all year. And this guy is going to play on Sundays, 100%. He's going to play on Sundays. Um, and given you know some of our recent struggles in coverage, I think that is probably going to be the matchup to watch there. Do we put Tejada on him? Do we put his Barnes back? And do we put him there? Do we let Walcott come in and continue his rise on that defensive side? Who knows? But I'm excited to see that matchup and see how we're able to limit as a Conma uh, wouldn't be shocked if he if he has a few just uh, amazing plays on us to be to be quite honest. Texas Tech defensively uh, not super great, not super great at all. Uh, below averaged eighth in scoring defense in the Big Twelve, allowing about thirty two points per game. Seventh in total defense, they allow over four hundred yards per game. Seventh in rush defense, allowing one hundred forty one yards per game, and then last in the Big Twelve in passing defense, allowing about 267 yards per game. But that strength of their defense is in their linebackers core. Uh, Colin Schooler, number 17, he leads the team with 57 tackles. That's 20 more than the next person. I expect to see him in on pretty much every single run play and getting into that backfield. He's got one sack, three passes defended, one interception, three forced fumbles. Okay, three forced fumbles. So extremely important for us to hang on to that ball this weekend because he's coming for it. He's got three force fumbles on the year. And then Rico Jeffers at linebacker, number six, 33 tackles, one sack, three passes defended, and one interception that he returned uh, for a touchdown. Both of these guys were honorable mention, all Big 12 last year. But, uh, you know, as I said, their defense as a whole, not fantastic, not great, not great. And now the bare necessities. Bare necessities this week. Only got two of them for you. On the defensive side of the ball, it's pass rush integrity. I think the one thing that's going to beat us this weekend is if we let Smith or Columbia get out of the pocket and create plays. We've done a much better job of keeping our levels in the pass rush and not running past the quarterback. Our pressure has been much better over the last couple of weeks. So I think as long as we don't go flying past that quarterback, we should be able to limit 
them from making off-script plays. Offensively, it's get the run game going early. We've got to get it going immediately and relieve some pressure off of our freshman quarterback, Blake Shaven. He's going to be making his first start, and he's going to need all the help he can get. Aranda even mentioned this is going to be a big key of the game. If we allow Tech to limit our rush offense, that is going to put a little bit more of the game on Shapin's shoulders, which is where I could see this game falling apart for us. If Shapin has to throw too much, it may be a little bit too much for him. Maybe makes a few mistakes being the freshman that he is. So hey, we got to get that run game going early and relieve that pressure off of Blake Shapin. Game prediction. Yes, what is your game prediction? I will tell you right now. So offensively, Aranda was asked if there was any difference in the offense with Shapin at quarterback versus Bohannon. He said it's going to depend on the run game. They both have a good deep ball. If there are not easy completions, though, here is the difference. Bohannon, they, they like to get him out of the pocket more. And with Shapin, though, they may look to chip on that defensive line, do a little bit more max protect, and look for some one-on-one -on -one matchups for us to take advantage of. Basically, though, it shouldn't be too much of a difference offensively, at least game plan-wise. I mean, we're still going to pound that rock, get that run game going, and do, you know, do I think we'll get the run game going? Yes, absolutely. I think we're going to run it down their throats. Defensively for us, Tech has been very up and down, you know, especially playing three different quarterbacks throughout the year. Hard to get some consistency there. Uh, you know, a good performance against a very good Iowa State defense. And then, you know, they get shut out a week later by the Oklahoma State defense. So very up and down, you know, being that it's senior day here in Waco at home and Tech, you know, likely going to be starting a redshirt freshman on the road in back-to-back -back weeks. I think our defense shows up. I think they play very, very well. Not to mention our defensive pressure. It's been excellent the last two weeks, and Tech is, you know, pretty average on giving up sacks. They've given up 21 on the year. With all that being said, Tech, they are excellent at spotting your weakness. They're excellent at taking advantage of it. But on that flip side, Baylor, we are very good at self-scouting and showing up any weaknesses that we may have from week to week. You know, it's very rare that you see this Baylor team come out and have the same uh, mistakes and weaknesses in the same area of the game in back-to-back -back weeks. And, you know, I already mentioned, I think we're going to show up big on senior day, especially with the potential Big 12 championship appearance on the line. So give me the Baylor Bears winning 30-17. to 17. Ladies and gentlemen, it is senior day in Waco, Texas, and this group of seniors is a special group. They have, they've played for two totally different coaches, totally different coaches. They came here to play for Matt Roll and easily could have left. You know, the fact that we had so few transfers after last year is, is incredible. It, it really is. You know, so many of those guys could have left and, and started over, especially with that 
extra year of eligibility granted because of the COVID year. But, I mean, they stayed with Aranda. They wanted to play here for Baylor and for Coach Aranda. And, you know, most of these guys were part of basically two rebuilds now. You know, if you want to call what Aranda has done here a rebuild, then, you know, they've been a part of two. Um, you know, but but the ups and downs of having a one-win season and then going to an 11-win season a few seasons later and then, you know, dropping immediately back down to a two-win season and then, you know, what looks like this year is going to be a 10-win season. You know, I I can't imagine what that would feel like, especially when I was at that age and and going through those ups and downs with two different leaders of the team, you know, it's it's just a testament to this this group of seniors and really to the whole team um, of what they've done and the character of each and every one of these guys. And I know we had a pretty special group there in 2019, but man, th- th- this one is pretty, pretty dang special too. And so many of these seniors, they're, they're going to hold a special place in our hearts. And, you know, there's there's too many to list, but Jalen Petrie, Jalen Petrie, the one who stayed, the one recruit that stayed when Rule was hired, the epitome of what Baylor football stands for, the guy that we didn't deserve, but yet he still chose Baylor. And now he's staring down an opportunity to get drafted, which I think he will, and has a shot at a career in the NFL. I mean, not enough can be said about this man. And I am personally so thankful for what he has done for Baylor University. We surely would not be the same without Jalen Petrie. He will go down as a Baylor legend, one of the best hybrid defensive back linebackers we've ever seen. You know, Scotty put him second team all Baylor football at the defensive back position. Honestly, I feel like you can make the case that he is maybe, maybe not second team, but at least honorable mention in the linebacker position as well. He's going to be first team, all Big 12, and he has a shot at being the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Jalen Petrie, Baylor Nation loves and appreciates you. Never change. Never change. Let's get through these Big 12 picks here. No picks last week, obviously, because I wasn't on the podcast. But the week before that, week 11, I went 4-1, and one, highlighted by my pick of Kansas, plus 30.5 points, which I didn't need any points because Texas lost to Kansas. Oh, man, that is just music to my ears and just a great way to send Texas off to the SEC, losing at home, at home. Y'all spent millions of dollars adding in your, you know, great new end zone area only to lose to Kansas at home. Ugh, cannot imagine that poverty, cannot imagine. Talking about this week though, Tech is visiting Baylor. Tech is getting 14 points and based on my final score prediction, I'm actually going to take Tech 
plus the points. Weird things, weird things happen in the Butt Bowl, uh, kind of like the TCU game, uh, the TCU matchup every year. Plus, the the fighting Joey Maguires are coming to Waco. So, you know, I think this is going to be a little bit weird of a game. I think we'll win by multiple possessions, but Tech plus 14, I, that, that's a lot of points for the Butt Bowl. Kansas State visits Texas. Kansas State plus three points uh, all day. All day. I'm not sure how Texas is favored in this matchup. That is pretty wild to me. So give me Kansas State plus three. I think they're going to win straight up though. TCU visits Iowa State. Iowa State minus 15 points. And that's where I'm heading with on this one. Uh, you know, a big letdown for them uh, last week. Not a big letdown for them. But um, man, really wish they had pulled that one out against OU. I think they'll come back big and beat. TCU by more than 15 points. West Virginia visits Kansas. West Virginia minus 15 and a half. I think it, if it had been 20, I might take Kansas, but I'm going to take West Virginia minus 15 and a half points. And finally, Bedlam. Bedlam. OU is visiting Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State minus four points. That's where I'm going with, I'm speaking it into existence, the Pokes. They're going to pull it off. And your Baylor Bears are going to be in the Big 12 championship with a chance for vengeance of our first loss of the season in Stillwater. Thanks for bearing with me this week, especially given that it's Thanksgiving break. You're probably all out with your families, so I appreciate you taking the time to listen in and to spend this time with me. Hey, maybe it was a good um, good way to get away from the family for, for a little bit. I know sometimes that's that's necessary just to, just to stay sane for some of you out there. <laughs> um, sorry I wasn't able to get a guest for you guys this week. I didn't want to burden anyone um, on the holiday week. Can't, can't tell you guys how appreciative I am of, of everyone coming in each week and, uh, and listening in. I have, uh, I have a lot to be thankful about this year, especially with uh, my son is turning a week old today on, on, on Tuesday. So I'm, uh, I'm aching to finish this pod off and go, go spend some more time with the little guy. Hey, let's get out there this weekend. Let's beat Tech. And hopefully the Pokes can take it home and get us another Big 12 championship appearance, which... Uh, you know, a lot of us thought was was not possible. I, I certainly didn't think that that was going to be in the cards for us this year. Thought our ceiling was eight wins. We're sitting at nine. Uh, you know, the ceiling of what that could be is potentially 12 wins. 12 wins. Um, plus 10 wins from last year is just uh, just amazing and unheard of. And Hey, sick and bears. The Please Bear With Me podcast was created by Scotty Swingler, is hosted and produced by Travis Corley, in affiliation with 247 Sports and Bears Illustrated.